prayer. And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we pray that you would come and speak to each of us here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. We are barely a week out of, maybe about two weeks out of the Easter season, but it is not just in the Easter season that we should be talking about the greatest story of all time, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And I think it's so appropriate here on Trinity Sunday that the reading is from the very end of Matthew's Gospel. And if you've got your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to have it open to Matthew chapter 28 because you'll notice something, um, or you may have noticed something before, if you've, if you've read the resurrection accounts of the four Gospels, you know each of them are very different from each other. Luke and John have really detailed accounts of what Jesus did, some of the miracles that he did and the appearances he made after he was raised from the dead, coming to the disciples and appearing to them. Uh, Mark's gospel is very concise, and it basically ends at the tomb with, a, with one little brief addition about Jesus appearing to the disciples. But I am absolutely fascinated by, what, by how Matthew tells this story, because what we heard read today so beautifully is the ending of the resurrection story according to Matthew's gospel. Yes, it's the story of Jesus's ascension as well, even though that's not mentioned, but this is the end. This is the these are the final words of Jesus after he has been raised from the dead. And Matthew tells us a story that none of the other gospel, uh, gospel writers do, and it is a very odd story. And it's an important one, though, to help us fully understand what it means to, to obey Jesus's command to go and to baptize, to go and to tell, to go and to proclaim the good news that he is risen. As you'll see, if you, ha if you have your scriptures, you can see in the verses before, in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, we get Matthew's account of what happened at the empty tomb that day. And basically, you have two Marys that show up. Matthew says there are two Marys, Mary Magdalene, and the other one is just known as the other Mary, in, at least in this translation of scripture. And these are the two women who go to the tomb and there is an earthquake, and there is like there's lightning from heaven. They see these these angels appear, and there are guards present. Matthew is very careful to point out that there are some guards that are there. The stone is rolled back. Of course, the angels speak to the women, and they tell and they uh, and they tell tell them what's going on. And then the women are and they tell the women to go and tell the others. Well, on the as they are leaving the tomb, they meet Jesus on the road, and he gives them instructions. This is in Matthew chapter 28. In verse 10, he says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. Well, where did we pick up today? In verse 16, we hear the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So we jump right there from the, the command given. Jesus says, tell them to go. Tell them to come and to meet me at this place and at this time. And that's exactly what they do. Mary, the two Marys go, and they do what Jesus tells them. And then they go and speak, and the disciples, the 11 disciples, then obey and go as they were instructed. But in the meantime, something else is going on. That is a story of obedience for the ages, of obedience throughout time, being told by Jesus, do not be afraid, 
go and do as I tell you. And that's exactly what, the, what happens. But what happens in verses 11 through 15 is also important. We hear a story about the guards going back into the city and telling those in authority that something strange has just happened. And so they, in verse 12, begin to, the, word, the phrase is used, devise a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, and basically they invent this story that the disciples came and stole Jesus' body from the tomb. And this, whole, and this is a whole cover-up that is taking place. This is, the thing, this is the making of a true crime prod, podcast, you guys. I mean, this is, a, this is a bribe that is taking place. Extortion is taking place. You've got all, basically, these sins being piled one on top of the other. Lying is taking place, and it's all rooted in fear. It is all rooted in fear because the guards were scared, right? They had just seen an angel. They'd seen a stone rolled back. They saw the one, the one, they had seen Jesus buried, and then they saw that he was gone. And they've gone back into the city, and they've devised this plan, a hundred that is completely based in fear. Now, why on earth are we told this story in between? It's almost like this was inserted here, and inter- it's an interruption of sorts to the great story of the Great Commission, right? Because we hear, the, uh, we hear what happens with the Marys and with the Eleven, but then we have this story in here, and I can't help but wonder two things. One is this. Let's remember where Matthew came from. Let's remember Matthew, before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was a tax collector. And here's another public service announcement for the television show The Chosen. If you haven't watched it yet, it is worth watching simply by what they, by what they, how they portray Matthew in there because he was a tax collector, he worked for Rome, and he was, um, and, and he was somebody that was absolutely detested by so many because of the work that he did. But when he met Jesus, everything changed, and he followed after him. This story that Matthew tells, these are the people he used to work for. These are the people he used to work with. This was the world that Matthew was in before he met Jesus. And in this moment, before the disciples have seen Jesus resurrected, Matthew, like all of us, had a choice. In that time of fear, in that time of anxiety, it would have been so easy to go back to doing life the way they had before they met Jesus. It is always so easy and so tempting, friends, to go backwards and to go and to go and, and to go back to the way things and want to go back to the way things were before. But when Jesus is asking us, step forward in faith, take a step forward in faith, go where I command you. And what Matthew is presenting to us here is something that we face choices with. We face choices every day to choose the right or to choose the wrong, to choose to move forward or to choose to backpedal in a direction that God is not leading us. And what they are asking, what Matthew is is portraying to us today, is that the 11 disciples chose not to go backwards. They chose not to go into, back into the world that they once lived in. Matthew rejects the world of sin that he had once been in, and he is going to move forward. They move away from the lies, and they go towards the truth. We, are, we live in a world, and we have lived in a world since going back to the time of Jesus, friends, where it is so often hard to know falsehood from truth. It's hard for us to distinguish sometimes about which direction we are supposed to go. But Matthew lays out for us here the simplicity of it. The disciples at the end of the day, they knew Jesus, they trusted him, and they, and they were willing to go where he was telling them to go. Even though they had not seen him yet, they heard an eyewitness account, 
and they followed after that. So in verse 16, when they choose not to go back into the city, but instead to run towards the place that he is going, we hear in verse 17 that they saw him, they worshipped him, some doubted, but Jesus came to them, and this is the key, friends. In verse 18, Jesus comes and says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you notice what Jesus says there? He doesn't say all authority has been given to you just yet. Not yet. That came with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that power came to us, that God gave us through the Holy Spirit power. But Jesus is saying here, I have been given authority. And because I have the authority, let me tell you what you are going to do. And he says in verse 19, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. This is known as the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey just as you have obeyed everything that I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. Many of us know these verses by heart and they bring us comfort and they, give, and, and they give us peace. But the key thing here is, friends, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He's the head of the church, he with the capital C, and all of the churches with little c's as well. He is the supreme authority. And because he has authority, and because we follow him, because we serve him and want to obey him, he sends us, and he tells us what to do. There's another instance in Scripture, and two or three, I think it's three of the gospel uh, writers tell us that there's a time where Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. And he, at that moment, tells them, I have given you authority. But it's not all authority. He gives them authority for specific callings and specific purposes. We've all been given authority for specific purposes. When we pray and ask God to heal the one who is sick, when we pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us the way that we are supposed to go. Jesus has given us authority to do that. When we pray the Lord's Prayer together and we're asking for our daily bread, when we're asking for his kingdom to come, that is us, uh, that he's given us authority to do that. But we don't have the same authority as the head of the church Jesus does. He is the one with all the power. He is the one to be reverenced. He's the one from whom we get and we receive every good thing. And what Jesus is reminding them of is, I have defeated sin. The, uh, oh, de death, where is your sting? Oh, so, oh, evil, where is your victory? He has won that battle, and he is seated in the place of victory. And he has given us everything we need to live out that victory as his disciples going and telling and, and proclaiming the good news that he who, promised, he who made these promises has done everything that he said that he would do. And notice also, friends, that in the story that Matthew tells us, that the guards are, they're locked up somewhere. They're in an enclosed room somewhere devising this plan. And where are the disciples going? They're going to the nations. They're going out. They're going into the world. Yes, we come together in worship. We come together in Bible study. We come together in fellowship in this community and we worship the Lord, and we pray together, and we receive from him, and as we do that, we can't help but go forth and do all of these things that the 11 were told to do all of those years ago. We're not meant to hoard that which God has given to us. We're meant to take it and to spread it, to share the good news, to take the church into the world, as, and that is what it means to be the broken and poured out body and blood of Christ. That is what Jesus is calling us to do, is to go forth and to feed 
the world, to go forth and feed his body and his blood to the world with our witness, with our, with, with our, sto with our stories, with pointing the way to the fact that he is the one who has claimed the victory over the grave. So let us not go back and let us move forward in taking the church, the body of Christ, into the world and, and letting him transform the world in and through us for his glory. As we prepare to come to the table today, let me share a story with you that I hope will wrap up and give you a visual example of what all of the, how all of this comes together. This weekend, actually just last night, I was officiating at a wedding um, where the, uh, the groom grew up here in this church, and, um, uh, and, and it was a wedding that was at a venue, so it was not in a church, it was out, um, it was out at a, a venue, we were actually outside, it was 90 degrees, it was probably the shortest wedding that anyone had ever been to, um, which happens if you get married outside in Mississippi, and, um, but right before, the right before the ceremony was to start, I was talking with the mother of the bride, who I just met the day before, and I'd walked out and I was wearing, um, I was, I was wearing uh, my robe and stole, I was wearing a different stole, very similar to this one. And, um, and she walked over to me and she said, I'm so glad that you're wearing this. And I said, really? I said, why, why is that? And she said, well, she said, it's important to me that this service is, and she was searching for words, she said, religious. She said, she said, is religious the word? And I looked at her and I said, and she, and she said something else about, uh, talking about that if they had wondered if they should have the service in a church or out or out somewhere else and uh, as she was as she was trying to voice what she was feeling and having trouble finding the words to do so I looked at her and I said the church comes to the people I said the church comes to those who want to follow after Jesus I said this bride and this groom did not just want it didn't just wanted a they wanted a minister to officiate they wanted someone from the church they wanted this ceremony to be full of scripture this is the church coming this is the, this is what it means for the church to come to people when the hearts are open when the hearts are ready to receive and friends the harvest is ready for us to go forth and do exactly that and later on in the service some of you who have been to weddings um, in Methodist churches before have seen have probably seen this but in at the end of the service I, I always wrap the bride and groom's hands in the stole they're holding hands and I wrap it in the stole that I'm wearing and as I do I say this is symbolic of the church wrapping you in its love this is symbolic of Christ is the head of the church wrapping you and enfolding you and your marriage being blessed and sealed by who he is and friends we are not limited by a building we are not limited by our individual gifts that is something that Jesus does all he's asking us to do is to go where we're asked to go to be where he has called us to be to take action because we are his disciples and we have and we are called to continue doing the good work so let us not go backward but instead let us continue to go forth to wrap one another in God's love, to wrap each other in his eternal life, to wrap each other in the love of the Holy Spirit who has been poured out upon us. As we come to the Lord's table today, let us not just receive in order to be filled today. Let us receive so that we might go forth and give. The go of the Trinity, the go of God's will, let us be willing to go forth from this table in the name of the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.
please join me in the invitation, confession, and pardon that you can find printed on page 12 of your hymnal. I invite you to turn there and let us read responsibly.